This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Uber posted its second quarter earnings, a stunning $5.24 billion loss, the largest ever in the company's history. While revenue rose 14% during the quarter, it's the ride-sharing company's slowest quarterly increase thus far. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi suggested on the conference call to report the earnings, he had no doubt that, quote, Eventually, the business will be a break-even and profitable business, end quote. The company is aiming to become the Amazon of transportation as it invests in autonomous vehicles and public transit deals and expands its food delivery service, Uber Eats, among other things. But with its recent layoffs of around 400 employees and changes to its executive team and board, can Uber really turn things around to become profitable? David Wessels, Director of Executive Education here at the Wharton School and an adjunct professor of finance, joins us on the phone, as does Leonard Sherman, executive in residence and adjunct professor of business at Columbia Business School, as well as a former partner at Accenture and Booz Allen Hamilton. He's also author of the book, If You're in a Dogfight, Become a Cat, Strategies for Long-Term Growth. David, Leonard, great to have you with us today. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be on. Thank you. So, David, did anything in the earnings report uh, raise an eyebrow for you? Well, absolutely. I think the number one thing that investors care about is whether or not this company continues to grow in its core base of business globally, in new businesses, and when they're, per, when they're showing a 14% growth and they're showing losses that just continue at current rates, I think that's going to make people pretty unexcited. You can get, you can get away with these large losses when the, um, when, the growth rates are, when the growth rates are quite high. You know, Lyft posted some pretty nice growth numbers. If you're, if you're doing that, you can get away with it. Because many of your expenses, of course, are investments in the future. But in this particular case, it's just, it's just bad news when the, when, the, when the numbers are so low, the growth numbers are so low, and the losses are just so high. Len, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with uh, David. Uh, that uh, $5.2 billion uh, number certainly was uh, breathtaking and caught a lot of press coverage. But um, <laughs> in two respects, uh, that number, per se, is not a worry. It's what David was talking about. You know, if you look at the top 10 uh, worst quarterly losses in, in history. Uh, Uber's $5.2 billion doesn't even come close to making the list. I mean, AIG lost $61 billion back in 2008, and GM lost $43 billion the next year. And even GE last year uh, posted a quarterly loss of $23 billion, and all those companies are chunking along. But the far bigger concern is the smaller number, if you can call $1.3 billion in net income loss in, in uh, this past quarter, uh, small. Uh, and it just continues this trend that David referred to of decelerating growth uh, and expanding losses. The big number that jumped out to me was their quarterly cash burn jumped to $920 billion from only $150 some odd billion dollars, uh, same quarter the year before. So any way you look at it, the, this company's ongoing performance is the big concern. And I guess, Len, a lot of people have had questions about about Uber moving forward, especially, as we mentioned, investing in autonomous vehicles, you know, how much that is going to end up playing a role in whatever level of growth they find uh, over the next decade or two. Well, yeah, I think Uber recognized from the beginning, going back to the Travis Kalanick days, that autonomous vehicles could represent an existential threat or a massive opportunity. And I think it's not surprising that they, therefore, uh, 
invested and have continued to invest heavily. But I think the reality is, and it's really settling in now, that uh, most folks who stay close to the sector uh, realize that it's going to be a decade and probably a lot more before autonomous vehicles are widely commercially deployed. I mean, what we're going to see slowly over the decade to come is a city here and a city there. You know, it's, every city has to be uh, programmed in detail. There's got to be some continued massive breakthroughs in technology. So yep. I think in the kind of uh, world that Uber now operates where people are obsessing about quarterly uh, results, uh, looking at uh, their salvation a decade or more away is, is really uh, going to lose its luster as we continue to live the current reality. David? Dan, yeah, can I jump in here? Because I'm going to put my CFO hat on for just a moment. Sure. You know, imagine we're sitting, the three of us are sitting in a board meeting, we're having this discussion about autonomous vehicles. As the CFO, I'm saying, what are we thinking? Yeah. I, I agree with, I agree. We're, we're, we're only burning a billion dollars of cash flow um, a quarter. The five billion is a little misleading because it was stock-based compensation, which is not cash. We're going to talk about that later. Yeah. But we're, we're burning a billion dollars here, guys. We're burning a billion dollars. We have roughly $15 billion in cash from the IPO and other raisings. So that gives us about 15 quarters to get our, 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 our business right. So we, we need to start thinking now about what we're going to do to pare back what we do to get what we do right. Because if you take a look at the threshold, I know Uber wants to be everything related to vehicles, and I know some analysts are pushing them in that direction. They're saying, you know, you need to be this delivery and that delivery and trucking and this. Any CFO worth their salt is going to come in to that business. We're talking about chief financial officers, not CEOs, not visionaries, the CFO, and say, guys, the numbers have to add up. You're in the game now. This is real. You're, you're a publicly traded company. Yeah. Your, your growth rates are coming down. It's time to take this, the profitability seriously by focusing on a handful of things. We're going to focus on our core business of delivering people. We're going to choose one or two other businesses that we're excited about. And then we're going to, we're going to take seriously about pairing back some of the other things that don't make sense. Do we need to be in bicycles? Do we need to be in scooters? Are we making money there? Do we really want to compete with Bird when we're losing a billion dollars a quarter and we have 15 quarters left? The clock is ticking. This is how the conversation would be going with a strong CFO uh, in the organization. Even though everybody wants to be everything to everybody, that works much better when you're a Series B round you know, than when you're publicly traded and your growth rates are now hovering around 10%. So was going public then a mistake at this, uh, at this point in time, David? Uh, it certainly puts on more quarterly pressure. It makes phone calls like this and, and discussions like this more, you know, prevalent in, in board meetings. Um, but, I mean, they were going to run into these problems eventually. I mean, even private investors are going to want to see some kind of payoff uh, in the short term. I don't think this is a public pressure thing. I, I think this is more just the fact that they're large, their growth rates are coming down. They have a successful business. People like using their product. Yep. I would be shocked if their core product couldn't make money, if they could just figure out what the right metrics need to be to keep drivers happy, right, to keep customers happy, what the right prices need to be, and so on. Uh, and then, you know, the competition, thank the Lord for Uber, is, is, is relatively limited. It's not like there's 40 competitors out there, you know, competing for the same spot. They have one or two competitors right. um, who are nipping at their heels, who have their own problems to deal with. So, you know, this could be a successful business, but at some point they're going to have to get serious. And again, it's not the $5 billion loss. That's just a signal of other issues. It's the $1 billion in quarterly burn. And, uh, and you know, again, it's, it's all the different things that we're doing, and it's the discussion about autonomous that as a chief financial officer would, uh, would, be, would be the thing that would be upsetting. But, Lenny, if, if you are thinking about dynamics here, 
uh, it would lead me to believe, and if Uber still hasn't been able to lock that down at this point, that whether it is Lyft or or if it were to be another company down the road, if you get those dynamics right, you've got the opportunity to have a, a, an unbelievably successful and powerful company. Uh, I'm not sure I uh, buy into that narrative okay. because, okay. Um, you know, the inconvenient truth is a couple of things. First of all, uh, not a single major rideshare company around the world uh, is making money right now. And, and, and astonishingly, that, that includes Didi, who basically, uh, when uh, Uber pulled out in 2016, had you know near monopoly control of by far the largest rideshare market in the world, and yet they continue I think they lost $1.8 billion last year. Uh, Grab, the company uh, in Southeast Asia that was seeded the market when Uber pulled out uh, a year and a half ago, um, continues to be unprofitable. Lyft in this country continues to be unprofitable. And um, I, I think the harsh reality is that uh, urban transportation as a business arena, this is a business arena that, that Uber and Lyft and others have come in to try to disrupt, but as a, a an economic sector of activity, urban transportation services is a crappy business. It just is, you know, and a couple of data points. Uh, public transportation services, public transit, loses money everywhere. There isn't a single major public transit uh service in this country, and maybe with the exception of London, uh, elsewhere in the world, that makes money. And the reason is that governments want these services to be subsidized, to spur growth and economic welfare. And then, of course, they could tax the greater economic growth and use that as an offset to subsidize public transit. Unfortunately, Uber has no way to take advantage of the positive externalities it creates, all those happy, drunken passengers who go to bars on Friday night right. uh, and make you know lots of business for bars, but Uber can't benefit indirectly from that. And then increasingly, they're going to be punished for the negative externalities that they're creating with some of the legislation we've recently seen in New York and pending in Los Angeles. Uh, on the taxi side, uh, in cities where taxis are not regulated and with supply uh, capped to create artificial profits, taxis have never been a profitable business when they've been allowed to grow without regulation. So Uber kind of has been fighting caps against their growth, but in fact, you know, that almost guarantees that they can't make money because them and their competitors would just keep adding drivers and drivers and drivers. That ultimately is a, a race to the bottom. So uh, I just don't see the sector that they have joined to be a, a, a profitable place uh, to declare victory once they stop some of these additional investments. And, oh, by the way, Uber Eats and the scooters and the bikes and everything else, uh, those have been money uh, losers not only for uh, Uber but for the other players in the game, including Bird, who's having their own troubles raising more money. Yeah, and David, I wanted to touch on Uber Eats for a second because, and you know, as a consumer, I do not use them, but that that's just me. But a lot of people do, and it makes you wonder about about how big that piece can be for Uber moving forward, and, and can it be kind of a, a core area, a strong piece for this company moving forward if they're able to put other pieces of of innovation around it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's more competition in that space. You know, get you know, I, you know, getting back to whether or not Uber itself can be profitable between the two businesses, whether it be a delivery business. I mean, the good news is, you know, they are at the end of the day, they really are a technology business. Um, the, the people really picking up the burden potentially in the future would be the drivers, 
who I don't think really think understand sort of what they're being paid per hour and how much wear and tear is coming on their car, whether it yep. be through Uber Eats or whether it be come through their the Uber delivery service. The question, of course, is do people get smart over time? You know, and they and they do because you know you see the turnover of drivers is quite substantial. That's why they have to continually give the retention bonuses and so on. So people get smart about you know how much they're really making and what the wear and tear of the car is. Uh, and so from that perspective. Uh, uh, you know, it's just it's hard to say. The, the reason I got so animated earlier is because, you know, unfortunately, I've got some gray hair now. I mean, this is the <laughs> professor thing. And I lived through the web van. I mean, I remember, you know, I was a young professor when web van came out in the late 1990s. They were really the first big billion dollar company. And they just remind me so much of Uber and they flamed out. And it wasn't like they didn't have a good product. I mean, they were basically doing food delivery, you know, to your home for, for uh, supermarkets. And people loved it, right? I mean, who doesn't want someone to do all your shopping for you, put it in your kitchen, sort it all out? The bottom line is they just couldn't get the numbers to work. They, they just The number of deliveries they had to do per hour were close to 20 deliveries per hour, and they were doing three. So that's why I get back to this idea of, like, you know, we need to get some, you know, logistics expertise in here. And again, Uber probably already has it and really figure out what it's going to take to hit profitability, because I think the urgency is now. It's not because they're public. It's because they have 15 quarters. And I think it's going to get tougher and tougher to raise capital, you know, going forward uh, because the private capital was in the business for so long and took so much of the value away from it. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't lend give them a whole lot of time to really build out other pieces to their business if they are going to be strong in other areas if they are going to innovate. I mean, well, I, I think really one, of, one of the go, go ahead, uh, Len. One, uh, one of the other factors on the timeline and the urgency that David's referring to is uh, there are a lot of major investors, including five of the board members, who have a a huge personal. Uh, financial stake and the shares that are currently locked up. And, you know, right now, Uber and, and through its entire history, including to this day, has been pushing the growth narrative. And of course, when you don't have a, a, a profit story to tell, the, the only possible offset is, you know, we're growing, uh, you know, like weeds. And, and now, of course, that growth is decelerating. But I, I think until we get past that lockup, it would be um, very problematic for a lot of people with a lot of money at stake. Uh, to say, well, we're, we're going to do the inevitable, which is what David was ta- talking about earlier. We're going to scale back operations. We're going to raise prices. We're going to consciously trade off uh, growth for profitability and, and all those other things. And that's that's inevitably going to happen. I, I would start looking for it in earnest as soon as we get past later this year, that, that lockup period. But the, the only possible future is is to sort of accept what should have been the way they approach this business from the beginning, which is let's get this thing, you know, perfected and then uh, grow responsibly from there, which is exactly what WebBand didn't do and what Pets.com didn't do in the old uh, Internet bubble days. And, and we made the same mistake again here with too much money too fast being thrown at a business that scaled before they really understood what they were getting themselves into. David? We'll see what We'll see what happens with WeWork and the same story kind of playing out when they IPO very shortly. I'm sorry, David, yeah, go ahead. I'll make one last comment about Uber. I, you know, the one thing I am happy about is at least they have a an outside CEO. They have a, you know, a board that, that really cares. The, the reason I say this is I'd be super nervous if this was still run by a founder. And maybe Travis is actually the right guy to run it because he's like a hard-charging, char- incredibly gifted and talented person. Um, but boy, could you imagine if it was, you know, run by a founder who, you know, sort of was closed-minded and could only thinking about growing the business, didn't want to hear anybody else's opinion about sort of what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and 
uh, that, that would just make it super tricky. And the reason I bring that up is because obviously so many tech companies are still completely controlled by their founders. And right. for those that have been successful, we haven't questioned any of these. Uh, but at least in Uber's case, you know, you've got a professional board in there. They can decide that the current CEO isn't the right person for the job if, if these losses continue on. Uh, and so that can change. One quick comment about the $5 billion. I, You know, I agree. It's non-cash. But the one thing that we have to be careful about this, and this is less about Uber, but just for keeping your eye on other investments that, you know, perhaps people are making, which is the $5 billion is real, right? So sometimes sure. what happens is a company will write down past investments. So what they'll do is that, you know, they'll have per- made a huge investment in a plant or a piece of equipment for billions of dollars, and that just didn't work out. And so they have to write it down. And then they show this huge loss, and it makes all the press. But the money was spent years ago. In this particular case, what we're talking about is we're talking about stock-based compensation. So it's not cash. So it's not going to cause immediate distress to the company. But you are still giving away ownership of the company, right? And so, you know, it's sort of a stealth way of you know, of, of giving benefits out without hurting from a cash flow perspective, you know, is to give away shares in the firm. But that means as an owner of this business, you know, of course, at the end of the day, I own less. And, you know, uh, investors are pretty concerned about earnings per share, so they usually keep a close eye on these things for more established companies. But when, you know, companies are giving away lots and lots of stock-based compensation, that means they're giving ownership away uh, for, you know, the common shareholders who are out there who own the stock. So, you know, it is real. People knew about it, um, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that can be completely overlooked on a broader scale. Len? Uh, yeah, uh, it, the, the, the challenge uh, w- 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 with, with their ability to make money on an ongoing basis uh, existed before this $5 billion quarterly loss. It, it continues to exist w- with the added pressure that we now have essentially uh, diluted uh, current stockholders in, in, in a money-losing enterprise, and it's, um, it's not a pretty picture. You know, it, it's interesting, David, in, in going back and talking about Travis Kalanick, uh, I, I saw an interview uh, with uh, Bradley Tusk, and he talked about ruthless innovation uh, where Kalanick was concerned and, and that maybe uh, Dara does not have that as much a, as Kalanick did. So how much of a, of a dynamic is that potentially moving forward for you, for Uber? You know, you look at Uber X post and you're like, oh, my God, this business was so obvious. Anybody could have done this. Well, anybody didn't do this. The, the group, including Travis, did. Um, and if you think about the first couple steps they had to make to get their business started, which started as a black car service, you yeah. know, and, and what they would have to do to get black cars online. You know, there's some creativity there. There's some ingenuity there. And there's some grit there. And, you know, that matters. And I think that's why a lot of these, uh, you know, young CEOs have been successful in their companies because they've been relentlessly driving. And so, yeah, I think the market misses that a little bit. My, you know, bigger concern is that, you know, when you're all powerful and things are going your way, nobody really cares. But when you get closet vision, um, then things can get, become a problem. And I'm, you know, I maybe I'm just an old school guy, right? I, I work with a lot of our large companies and, and, and clients here at the Wharton School. And, you know, one of the things we're continually talking about, and this is not just from me, this is from, you know, chief executive officers, chief financial officers. You know, we got to be focused and disciplined about what we do and what we don't, especially if we're burning through cash. And no, we're not two quarters away from this. We're still 15 quarters away. But when you're counting in quarters, like something's going on, and maybe the $5 billion was a wake-up call to the market, maybe not. I'm sure in a couple of weeks people will forget about it, and they'll continue to burn through their billion dollars for another few quarters. But, like, I would hate to be back on this, you know, on this uh, discussion uh, you know, a year or two from now, uh, having this same conversation. So I don't know who yeah. the right leader is for the organization, 
but uh, you know they're going to need someone who's you know strong who comes in and sort of says, okay, you know when do we turn the corner and when do we start to focus this business and get it right, Leonard. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I don't see the right um, re- response coming from Dara Khosrow Shahi. Uh, in that the company continues to promote this idea that it's growth at all costs, which is, of course, uh, what Travis did. And, and I, I, by the way, I, I also believe Travis did an amazing job scaling this company. I don't can't think of another company that that scaled a complex business so fast globally. Uh, as he did. Unfortunately, he was replicating a fairly broken business model around the world uh, rather than uh, taking the steps necessary to strengthen the foundation of the business. But if you look at the the narrative that's come out of Uber in the Kalanick and now Dara Kusher Shahi days, you know, first, as soon as we get out of China, we'll, we'll start making money. That didn't happen. Then they said autonomous vehicles are going to save the day, and they had that tragic fatal accident. They've Sort of stop talking about that. Yep. And they said Uber Eats, we're going to grow out of our losses. And then finally, they talk about we are going to be the Amazon of transportation and attack a $16 trillion accessible market, which is folly. And, and what I haven't heard from DK, including on his quarterly conference call last week, uh, is this recognition of what David's been saying that you know you've got to wake up and say wait a second we can't keep burning money at this rate and and in in that conference right. call DK referred to a mem quote unquote a mem you know he said I heard there's a mem around which is can Uber ever be profitable and I yeah. think it will be phenomenally profitable and you, you know well what steps are you going to take other than continuing to burn cash in pursuit of growth well right? i don't i haven't seen it yet and, and len the other part to to what he said in the conference call he's quoted as saying we could break even if we wanted to and, and yeah, that that's kind yeah. of a dangerous i think area to, to go into yeah almost as if you know real men are willing to take billion dollar losses quarter after quarter and only wusses would say now nah, we really have to become profitable and of course i i have a uh, a pretty radically different view of that. We're, we're not talking about a startup company. We're talking about a company that's entering its second decade. And uh, I have not seen the company step up and take accountability for the fact that they have to radically rethink their current business model and the scale and scope of their operations, all of which have to be reined in. But that's just my view. David? Well, that's why you know we get back to what we talked about two years ago when, when Uber was really making the markets, which is what are the underlying economics of this business, you know, uh, over the next couple of years? Uh, it, I think it has the potential of being profitable, maybe not as profitable as a booking.com. You know, maybe I'm getting too anxious too early uh, in the process. They can turn, if they really can turn the corner, then that's, you know, that's something that's uh, super exciting. We're still talking about a multi-billion dollar valuation, $60, 70000000000 billion valuation. So it's not like this company is, you know, it, you know, dwindling billions by the day. But at some point, uh, they're going to need to focus uh, and show us that the business model does make sense because it's right. I mean, taxis have never been a very good business, you know, historically, and public transportation is incredibly subsidized. And Webvan was a failure, so it can happen. So at some point, uh, we're going to need to see that quarter. So, so, David, then, and you mentioned the 15 quarters that we're looking at right now. And I think we have to assume that it's going to be a challenge to get to that point in the next 15 quarters, uh, almost four years. Uh, Then what potentially are we talking about three and three quarter years out at this point? 
you know, for me, I, I was just happy when I opened the 10Q and saw that it wasn't three quarters that were left. Um, so okay. I was happy to see that they had so many quarters in front of them. And I was like, at first, I was sort of like, okay, 15 is a lot of quarters, especially if they can get this right. But, you know, the thing is, you know, what, you know, how many rides they need to do, how many deliveries do they need to do, what does the price per delivery need to be? You know, these are the questions that they need to address. And obviously, they have more confidence in the business than I do. Uh, but, uh, but uh, it, it, it can be done. I just get worried about all these other businesses that I see, which are just bleeding through cash. Um, and I just don't see the same potential in, as their as their handful of core businesses. Len, well, I, I uh, everyone's waiting for Uber to blink or Lyft to blink, and and one of the challenges is if you think about it, and I, I haven't seen this list, but I have no doubt that it exists somewhere in in Uber's uh, CFO's office. You know, a list of of their their losses by metro market, and I, I'm sure if they they wanted to go through an exercise of saying, well, we, we just can't afford to stay in you know city X, um, they have that list ready to go. But you know, think about what would inhibit uh, Uber to be the first to blink going down that road. Is you know, I'm now giving 100% of that city's market to Lyft, and maybe they'll make money when when we leave. And of course, Lyft's probably sitting there, you know, thinking the same thing. So they're kind of caught in this dance. Uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Can't can't stay, can't leave. So it, it's going to take a lot of uh, courage and a lot of course reversal to start pruning back this operation to a, a survivable, um, somewhat but not excitingly profitable enterprise. And again, I can't stress enough, I haven't seen uh, the current or prior uh, leadership of the company uh, come forward and sort of Put that out there that says this is the new new path we're taking, and this is how and why we're going to survive. It's still on this growth at all costs rampage. Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank da- you. David Wessels from here at the Wharton School, Leonard Sherman at Columbia Business School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 